vintage sand. Hello, hello, hello. So far, it's not the plague year, so we're very happy about oh that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just picked up my copy of Daniel Defoe's The Plague, a Journal of the Plague Year, so hopefully we'll still be coming to you. But I'm happy to report, Vintage Sand fans, both of you, that um, we are now recording in back in Vintage Sand Studios Nord. Under the lights. Yep, we have made it Our back. Our original home. We made it back to the big time, so we are happy to be here, and we are thrilled to bring you... fancy new studio. Exactly. <laughs> Episode 19, which is the continuation of our top 10 of the decade recently ended of the teens. And, you know, I was in thinking about the... I was thinking about that it was a really good decade for... For certain genres. Certain, yes. like, underloved yeah. genres. Like, for example, like horror films. Um, because horror films by people like um, Ari Aster and uh, you know Jennifer Kent, like who did the Babadook, were really thoughtful. They were not you know slice and dice and horror films. They were suspense, chiller, you know, anxiety producing films as opposed to shock producing films. It's the Hitchcock influence, absolutely. But I mean, it's just, so we've got a generation of new directors. Uh, sneak preview of episode 20 we've got a generation of new directors who are able to do and of course you know one of the horror films I guess theoretically it's a horror film that's uh, very political and social and smart is on my list uh, coming up as you shall see Um, also a good uh, good decade for science fiction I mean, you had Alex Garland. Yes, Michael. Michael, the one science fiction film that Michael likes is Ex Machina. Yeah, which, I did like. Which was Alex very, Garland. Very much. And uh, if you listen, last time I had Denis Villeneuve, who directed um, Arri- uh, Arrival, but also did Blade Runner 2049, which is on my list, and is currently working on the adaptation of Dune, which I guarantee you will be better than the David Lynch, right? Wow. <laughs> it's not. It's a, it's a low bar. But that's going to say, that's setting the bar kind of low. I just remember seeing that. That movie and sitting in the theater saying it's been on for an hour and 20 minutes and I have absolutely no idea what's no going idea on. what's going on nor do you care which is the problem <laughs> and I did walk out um, and I rarely walk you, out you walked out really no. oh, yeah. stay there yet? no um, you had uh, I, genre film like did you guys see Unstoppable the one with uh, Denzel Washington and Chris Pine about the train the runaway train no, I mean, that's a wonderful little genre. A lot of films like that, like Baby Driver, was like that too. A film I did not, li- of, I did not like Baby Driver, but I, I, it, it kind I of I did like Baby Driver. I liked it too, and it reminded me of like Asphalt Jungle on Speed. You know, a caper film. That's, an honest, that's an interesting way to put it. An yeah. old school caper film, yeah. but with really good actors. Was well, not only that, in, but in also B-parts. with a character that's, um, I mean. Really, really uh, torn. You find out about what it is he's doing to why he's doing it, right? It's, and and but you know, and then you see in these tiny parts, you know, Jamie Foxx and yeah. John Hamm and Kevin Spacey, and you know, I, I love films like that. But uh, Kevin, my problem, Kevin my pro- excellent. In it. My problem was the lead actor. I uh, I do yeah, think he's he very was, good. No, he was yeah. He I, was I find bland, you know, but, and he's supposedly he's going to be the lead, or he is the lead in uh, Spielberg's remake. Of West, of West Side Story, Story Ansel Elgort. Yeah, I heard so about him. Hopefully yeah. he'll be better than that. But I, I just find him very, very um, He's playing Tony? Yeah. Yeah. Wait. 
Anyway, mm. um, also a good, and, and as much as everyone led by Martin Scorsese and Francis Coppola complained about um, the, the predominance of, of action-adventure films, there were some really good action-adventure films. Black Panther was excellent, I thought. Black Panther, Black Panther was, good. was good. There's a reason that a lot of critics have Mad Max Fury Road on on their top ten of the day. De- I loved it. I, I thought don't get it. Was it. Just yeah, I, I, well, I got it. I just, I just thought, like, I find it being repetitive. One yeah. word. Furiosa. Okay? Maybe the best female character I in thought, action well, movie yeah, ever. No, she... That was good. That was one of the positive... But I just felt like the entire movie was just a setup to get that last shot where the exchange looks. That was the best moment of the entire movie. But after an hour, I just didn't care. Yeah, well, no, no, I, was get, numb. I get that. It was numbing. It was numb. a numbing movie. And it's like, I get the point. The global warming is here, and we're going to have really dire consequences if we don't start to do something about it. And, you know, speaking of it's women... It's not a hoax, Donald. Speaking of women in action films, we had Wonder Woman, which is one of the better superhero movies. Did not see it. Uh, I saw it. I liked it a lot up until, like, the that lasts, say, 15, 20 minutes. And it became oh, with the, very, with the battle with the Ares. Yeah, and, and, be, and then it became very somber. And yeah, but it's Gal Gadot, so yeah. I was willing to overlook a multitude of sins. Um, because there was a lot of humor, and it was very entertaining before that, and then it all of a sudden went very somber. And I went in thinking, well, you know, because I grew up in the 70s, unlike you guys, so no one was ever going to... Linda Carter single-handedly guided me through puberty in those two seasons of Wonder Woman well, I grew on up TV. In the 80s, so. So. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, no one's going to be a better Wonder Woman than Linda Carter damn it and there she was and uh, I just have the accent was a bit of a problem isn't well, she yeah. Israeli she's Israeli yeah. but you know she, uh, we always joke uh, yeah when she says the name Steve she says it S-T-I-V yeah Stiv yeah Stiv yeah. <laughs> okay, it, gets, it gets kind of funny after I mean, a while she's supposed to be I, I don't know. She's from an island, something. <laughs> yeah. Island girl, some Greek, some Middle Eastern <laughs> oh, Greek like island, island in that, there you know, where there's but Robin Wright's on it, where there's many people like just like her, <laughs> and they all learned her accent, which was cool. <laughs> um, also, a bit of a you know on and on and off, but a kind of a comeback decade for Pixar. Even if you just count Inside Out and Coco, both of which I thought were as good as almost anything they've ever done. Um, and you know, in terms of directors, Tarantino came back. Well, Spike Lee came back well. Yes. Uh, unlike he does at Knicks games now. And yeah, what uh, is that about? Oh, I don't you know, I, I know. What is his problem? I have enough pain as a Knicks fan already, and now Jim Dolan is throwing Spike Lee out. Whatever. And, you know, uh, of the of the ten best director uh, Oscars uh, awarded during the decade, five were given to the Mexican New Waivers. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Cuaron won two, and Yari two won two. South Korean, yay! Yes, that's right, our first recording since I was wrong last time. We all thought 1917 was going to yeah, win. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy. I was so... No, yeah, I, was, it, the best film actually won. Yeah. It's, it's a miracle from scripture. Yeah. I was really, yeah. really happy. And not only that, but when it did win... The audience was obviously very enthusiastic that it did. Oh, sure, yes. they didn't want they didn't want the orchestra to cut them off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was pleased. Although I have to say, Joaquin Phoenix lost me at the cow thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Of, was was like, kind wait, of, what now? We're it taking, was like his heart was in the right place, but it was like this meandering thing that went on. And it's like, their get them all off. Neither best what? actor or actress speech was. Worth. Oh God! Yeah, yeah I mean, well. she was. 
the subwagon. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was but <laughs> so, but in a decade that everyone is ready to, you know, write off as, you know, well, television's better than film is now. There was some really, really good stuff and stuff to look forward. I would throw in maybe one of the top three, at least in my reckoning, uh, Bond films, which was Skyfall. I thought Skyfall was fantastic. Have you heard? That yeah, I know they they're did. postponing. I know the opening of, of the Bond movie was supposed to. Because they're afraid of the because the, remember the Bond Bond movies make their a lot of their money worldwide and so the coronavirus. Yeah. Is, oh, oh yeah. By yeah, the way, and I I think this is true. I saw it on Facebook, which means it must be true. Thank you, Mark Zuckerberg. That something like thirty eight percent of Americans believe that Corona beer has something to do with the coronavirus. Oh boy. Well, it's true. <laughs> Just think we're all going to die of Rheingold disease. That's why you have to put the lime in it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The acid kills the bacteria. I, I know go it's a virus. It's not bacteria. I know that for a fact. I think I'm going to go out and get one now. My gut tells me it's bacteria, so I know it's <laughs> So, and although I think I'm going to just say, the last thing I'm going to say before we get into the list is, you know, I think the two films that are most prophetic from the decade were both not very good films. Um, both made by decent directors, and that was Elysium, Neil Blomkamp's film, uh, with Matt Damon and Jodie Foster, oh. um, where the rich have built a space station. Oh, that thing. And yeah. have, it was a horrible movie, yeah. but the idea was brilliant, and left the rest of us to fight for the crumbs, you know, and Snowpiercer was kind of like that, too. Yeah. And Bong did that idea much better in Parasite, but, you know, yeah. the idea of Snowpiercer is that the rich people are at the front of the train and the poor people are at the back of the train, and the train keeps going. People may look back on those movies and say, wow, they called it, man. Snowpiercer was interesting. Interesting was just yeah just, too much. No, and he, as we said, he did the idea much better in Parasite. Oh, so yeah. in episode eight, yeah, and as you said, Michael, absolutely accurately, the best you know best films about class struggle since Manuel. Yeah, he would have been very very oh, happy. He would have smiled. Yep. So we, let's last episode might episode, have motivated him to make another movie. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> last episode, last episode, episode eighteen, we did our numbers ten through six. So we're not going to waste your time and go through those. Please listen to the episode. It's really good. Available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, so let's jump right in with our number fives. John, you want to kick it off? What's your okay, number well, five? Okay, well, as we were saying before, I've cheated and I have six movies in my top five. So my tie, I have a tie at number five, Ooh. and that's Phantom Thread and Lincoln, but I will defer on talking about Phantom Thread at all because I know that it's I think that's going to be somebody's number one. Number one. So. Yeah, we're not saying, we're not so naming names. So Lincoln... Directed by Steven Spielberg, which came out in 2012 with Daniel Day-Lewis in a wonderful performance. When, when is he not? Tommy Lee Jones as Thaddeus Stevens, Sally Field, David Strathairn, Hal Holbrook, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And uh, I know that, Josh, you don't like this movie. I do like the movie. I don't like that. But the ending ruins the whole thing for me. But that's okay. I mean, no, but there are things in the movie that uh, what I loved about it was that rather than telling Lincoln's life story from Log Cabin yeah. onwards, yes. it's just, took just a segment of. Right. It's just yeah. that Emancipation Proclamation period. Way to make biographies. Yeah. Absolutely. The best yeah. way to make biographies is to take a small portion, like The Queen. That was one week. Or even, I didn't see it, but that's what what Judy is, right? Oh, you never what, saw The Queen? What, no, I know uh, Judy. Right? Oh, Judy, Judy, Judy was not yeah. that great a biography. But it focused on just one very short yeah. period towards the end yeah. of Garland's life. But right? I think it's an as movies that depict uh, parts of history. I think this is an excellent, excellent yeah. example. And, uh, and it's very entertaining, very well acted by everybody. everybody. Yes. Not a single. And, and it's and so it has, beautifully cast. Yeah, yes. and it has humor. Yep. 
And oh, the, the three, uh, yeah. what would you call them? Uh, I don't know, how, how would you describe them? Uh. <laughs> um, I was trying to think of it today. Uh, this is James Spader, John Hawks, and Tim Blake Nelson, yeah. who, is, who are these three people that President Lincoln uh, uses to kind of talk. Although so they're never know. supposed to say that they, they're really right. hired by him. No, no, yeah. absolutely not. not right. No. And they go around various people trying to get their votes, and mm-hmm. they basically kind of blackmail Blackmail, yeah. bribe, and, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the way yeah. politics is done. Yeah. That's, yeah. The way, that's the way LBJ did it. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. that's, that's the way, and that's why, that's why Obama didn't get a lot of his policies through, because we thought Biden was going to be that guy, and he just wasn't. Yeah. Too nice. Yeah. Well, let's we'll see in a few months if he actually does get the nomination. But anyway, but anyway, on with the film. Yes, I, I, I mean, for those that don't know, it's depicting how they got the votes to abolish slavery. The thirteenth, the thirteenth Amendment. Thir- right. Amendment, and it's a beautiful movie. It's uh, some of it's very moving. Uh, Sally Field is it's your best is, performance. Is amazing. Fantastic, mean, fantastic, and it's the best. Um, it's the best Mary Todd Lincoln I've ever seen. And I've oh, seen, yeah. I've seen yeah. some good actresses yeah. play that part. Yeah. And I, she is sublime. Daniel Day-Lewis, you just, you fall in love with him. Yep. Immediately. Yeah. You almost, see Lincoln, yeah. you know, I've read, you know, you read Whitman, you know, who just worshipped Lincoln and right. saw Lincoln as like emblematic. And right. when I, as soon as Daniel Day-Lewis opened his mouth, you know, the slightly high-pitched voice and everything, but yeah. with a gravitas that's just... Undeniable. I saw Whitman's Lincoln in Daniel Day Lewis, which is as high a compliment as I could pay. That's a good way to put it. So, anything else you want to say about this movie? See well, it if you haven't I, seen I, it. I, will I say it. some people. I remember when it came out, and some people said it was oh, it's just a lot of people talking. It was boring, which I don't understand. Though I know people who didn't not like Lincoln, and um, basically they don't like history. If you don't like history, you're not going to like Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've expressed elsewhere in these pages my feelings about the ending, that he had a perfect ending and just went on beyond it. Yeah. But but that doesn't affect the whole. I, I, I agree that he did have that that moment where he could have ended it. At the same time, I like the rest of the movie. Yeah, I do too. Actually, I like the rest of the movie a lot. All right. And, well, you, get, and you get to hear his great inaugural speech. Mm-hmm. Probably the best. No, 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 but that's not an That's probably the best inaugural speech ever. Oh yeah, the better angels of our nature speech. But but isn't he? Isn't the end? Doesn't he? You know, his his butler tries to get him to wear his gloves. But isn't he off to the the theater at that point? Yeah. 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 So and then not that theater, but another theater. You know, we've talked. Well, we go. Yeah, we yes, he goes. Well, we know he goes to Ford's theater. Right. But when we don't see the actual assassination. As to why he chooses not to do that, I don't know. I think I, every, I think everybody expected that maybe he wanted to do something that was different, and he, he depicts the announcement at the theater where they were doing a performance of Aladdin, right? Where his son was, and there are conflicting historical accounts of what happened. Some say that as it depicted in the movie, that is exactly how it happened. The, another another account is that there was a note that got to uh, his son's caretaker and took him out before the announcement. But I think the way it is done in the movie works better than doing it that other way. So so that part is true. 
All right. Um, I agree. I'll, I will go next, my number five, which you guys will violently disagree with. My daughter yelled at me for a half an hour about it, but um, she does that. She's going to be a lawyer someday, so there you go. Uh, my number five is La La Land. Um, you have a wise daughter. <laughs> Damien Giselle, 19, uh, 2017, and I, I know you guys hated the opening number. Uh, that opening number, I bought into it, you know, and... I was sold because it, and some people even say it's not not Chazelle's best film of the decade. A lot of people say Whiplash is a better film, and I could see that argument. I don't like Whiplash much either. Actually, I like Whiplash. The, I think is a hard movie to like. I think La La Land is a better movie. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would agree. And as I've said before, you know, when we're talking about favorite endings and favorite openings, it, it made both of those lists for me in previous episodes. Um, it is not a tribute to MGM, to Gene Kelly, and to Fred Astaire. No, it's a no. tribute to Umbrellas of Cherbourg and to the and to less so to the young girls of Rochefort. And I, I am convinced that that's true because on the first time when Ryan Gosling visits Emma Stone on the Warner set where she's working in the coffee shop, yeah. they walk out, and there as part of the set is a storefront that says Parapluie. that looks exactly like where Catherine Deneuve works Mm -hmm. in Cherbourg. Plus, everyone, almost every single person, whether they're an extra or or the star, is wearing solid colors. And it's the same eight or nine solid colors, which... You know, Demi memorably did in Cherbourg. He literally repainted the town in those eight colors, and it's just those solid colors. So for me, um, when I rewatched it with my wife, she said, I just can't take musicals with people who can't really sing and dance. That's kind of how I felt, too. Uh, neither one of them could sing but, well but or it's dance not, well, but well, I understand it's not trying to. I, I understood what he was trying to do. It, it didn't always work for me, but I will admit that I liked the movie a lot more the second time I watched it. To, to me, it's a lot less offensive than, say, having Russell Crowe sing Javert and Les Mis or having Renee Zellweger and Richard Gere in Chicago, where those are real musicals yeah, and yes. you need real, yeah, I, I need I real singers and dancers. Well, now, you and I disagreed on a previous episode about Sweeney Todd, which you could say the, the same Johnny thing. Depp, yeah. The Johnny Depp, Helena Bonham Carter. Neither one of them are great singers, but that was redone in such a way that I think it worked. This one, it didn't bother me th- that much. It, and it, I have to say, La La Land, I thought, got better as it went along. But having heard so much about it, and mm. then... So uh, frankly, it's a victim of the hype. And also the music, I find, for the most part, rather mediocre. But I found the music to be sort of an interesting imitation of that semi-jazzy style that Michel Legrand uses in for his music in Cherbourg and for the other soundtracks he wrote at I, that time. I, I think the, uh, uh, Michel's music is much better than... Uh, One aspect than I really liked a lot, though, was its depiction of how trying to make it as an actor or actress or some other aspect in movies is so hard and can be so depressing. And, you know, they knock on every door. And But, but so the thing I mean, that... She's ready to give up. The thing that's... Yeah, she goes home. She goes back to Nevada. But uh, what seals the movie for me seeing it again this time around was that the chemistry between Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone is very, very real. And by the way, this is Ryan Gosling's second appearance on my top ten because he was in Blade Runner 2049, too. And he is not usually my favorite actor. I don't consider him... I really him liked him in Half Nelson. Did you yeah. see that? Oh my God, yeah. I'm sure As many people were just automatically very disappointed in the movie because it doesn't have your typical cliched romantic ending. True. No, but... but, 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 but no, 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 no. But guys, guys, 
Casablanca. Abyss. I give you Casablanca, the greatest romance oh. in history, and with the couple not together. No, I agree. From Romeo and Juliet all the way through, and so they can't be together. But that's sort of the price they pay for achieving their dream. There, you know, she becomes the movie star. He owns his jazz club. Yeah, you know, and and they it, again, it's like the ending of Cherbourg, where she, you know, she marries well and she pulls up in this fancy car to the gas station that he's always wanted Don't to own. get together in the sequel. <laughs> Possibly, but I, there are some moments in the film that are, first of all, the whole scene in the Griffith Observatory and the obsession with Rebel Without a Cause <laughs> is he does his James Dean imitation. Oh, yeah. I got the bullets! I got the bullets! I love that. And, and they're literally floating in the stars. I, I, I just bought it. I, I, I know people... You're tearing me apart! Exactly. I love, I love Emma Stone's audition scene. A lesser actress oh, could yeah. not have pulled that off yeah. when talking singing about her aunt you know here's to the ones who dream that one yes uh, and the ending is just I did like the ending one of the, I have to say where we get to see the alternative path and there's a moment within that ending where they're watching themselves on home movies yeah that's just yeah. just beautiful now that part I really liked a lot I, I just thought it was, and you know it uh, had I been giving awards that year, I would have done what Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway did. I would have given La La Land Best Picture, and I would have given Barry Jenkins Best Director for Moonlight. Moonlight is a really, really, really great story, beautifully told by a director. But La La Land's a movie, movie, movie. It's a movie no, about... I, movie. Yeah, I understand you, you, what you see. You see what I'm saying? I wasn't a huge fan of Moonlight. <laughs> I'm, and I'm not taking anything away from Moonlight. I mean, the third, the third uh, segment of that movie, to me, was so slow. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, in, in the end, uh, to tie it back to us, isn't that kind of what we're doing? Aren't we kind of Ryan Gosling? You know, he's, he's fascinated to a point of annoying obsession with preserving yeah. jazz as it was. And let's face it, guys, there aren't a lot of people out there left who are vocally interested in classic films, and that's what we're kind of doing. Yeah. We're kind of vintage sand is kind of yeah. built to keep the flame alive. Yeah. So I felt it kind of mirrored our. That's why we um, have such a small audience. Exactly, but they're really loyal, and we love you guys for it. And we're going to bake something for all of you to send us your addresses. Michael, remember, if you like what you hear, tell a friend, and tell that friend to tell another friend. That's right. And we're going to have all our information at the end. And I'm going to try, with the help of my technically advanced daughter, to get us up on Spotify as well as. SoundCloud and iTunes where we are now Michael Edmund your number five my number five is Roma oh that's your number five yep no, oh. ar- no argument from me yeah wow. um, I'm sure everybody has seen it so I don't need to say too much about it I'm surprised it, actually I've met a number of people who have not seen it really yeah even though it's so easily available or I know and that's what I keep saying but it's on Netflix uh, I was fortunate with uh, Roma. I saw it at a, a SAG it at, at a SAG screening, and uh, I have since watched it uh, once on uh, Netflix. I just think it is one of the most beautiful, heartfelt, and it reminds me of a, a combination of De Sica and Fellini. It's it's even though it's not Italian, it's Mexican. No, but it's definitely its own thing because it takes place in Mexico in the 70s. Absolutely. With the backdrop of Mexican politics right. going on and the class distinctions. In yep. Oh, yeah. Well, it's Cuaron's own story. I mean, yeah, yeah the it's, yeah. it's, it's, there's, um, it's my number one. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, all right. Well, then you know what? I'm going, I'm going to... Uh, well, we can talk more. No, we'll I talk, know a lot let's about talk more when we, when we get to number we'll one. We'll talk more. And uh, 
That could have easily been my number one too. It, it's it's, it's a such movie. a good movie. And again, yeah, once we get past five, it's kind of like yeah, a, a yeah. general tie. But you know, again, if our standard is something that's going to be watched in 25, 30, 40 years, I have no doubt in my mind. No, that, I, that I, Rome I is going to be watched. Absolutely. In, yeah. I generally, I you know, when I was thinking putting this list together, it's like I kept changing like the orders. Like you know what. If I do this tomorrow, I'll change the order again. Exactly. Yeah. If I do it next week, I want to change it again or whatever. Because all these movies are so good and so close to each other, but are also very different. So yeah, not uh, bad for a decade that was supposed to be just a horrible, you know, yeah. string of bad uh, teenage geared action films. Uh, Johnny Meyer, your number four. Shoplifters. Interesting. You know, I haven't seen it. Ah, shame oh, shame on it. me. It's good. Japanese yeah. film, right? Yeah. Japanese film. Yeah. Uh, Directed by Manabiku Kazuka. And the cast is amazing. It's a great ensemble cast. Um, Lily Frankie, Sakura Ando, um, Mayu Matsuka, Kayu Joe, Kirin Kiki, Miyu Sasaki, Sasuki Ikamatsu, and then as the young girl, Naoto Ogata. And if she doesn't break your heart, I don't know what will. Yeah. My God. Um, so is it is it Japanese I, it, it, film on the level of the fifties or not quite? It's, or it's, it's different. different. I mean, in a way, it kind of reminded me somewhat of some of the early Italian neorealist movies. Okay, sure. So we're um, in Rossellini. But the, the general premise is it's about a non biological family. They they have created their own family. It's very interesting. And they they do all work, but they're not making enough money to survive. And in order to survive, they shoplift. And the so-called son is doing a lot of the shoplifting. And at the beginning of the movie, one night there, he's walking home with his father, and they come across this little girl who's all by herself. And the father's very concerned, like, why is this little girl, like, you know, here in the cold by herself? And uh, he decides to take her home. And then they eventually they decide just to keep her at home. But they, they realize that she's been abused by her parents. They see all sorts of marks on her. And uh, <coughs> they basically take her into the family. And um, it's, it's about how they, how they survive, how they, how they really have become a family. But, uh, it's so it's, but there's it's, no like social satire as in Paris. No, 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 not at all. I would and, not call uh, this a black comedy. No, least. no, not at all. And, um, there are uh, a few surprises. I don't want to give anything away don't, because it will ruin the movie if you have not see seen it. it. But uh, it's—I think it's a great movie. Yeah, I, I urge any because it's almost—it's very accessible. And it, John, I don't know if anyone uh, is a fan of the Atlantic Magazine, I don't know if you guys saw the latest issue. There's an article by David Brooks about exactly what you're talking about, John, about how the nuclear family, what we thought of, is dying out, yeah. but being replaced by yeah. these families, these artificial communities of people just sort of grab onto each other who are not biologically right. related right. and become quote-unquote a family. So it sounds very uh, timely. Is that the director? Oh, I'm sorry. The director is Hirokazu Kurita. Is, is that him? No, I, I, no because that's not... Um I may be wrong on that. Okay. I thought it was. I thought it was the same. Well, you know what? Uh, this I think this might be wrong. What I printed out too, because oh. it's it's very confusing. Because he's got. A, I was. I read that he has a new. movie. No, no. It's. It's. I'm sorry. It's. It's Hirokatsu Karita. Okay. Because he has a new movie coming out next week. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, cool. But it's not uh, Japanese. It's. It's about a mother 
a daughter actress um, Interesting. with Catherine Deneuve and Juliette Binoche. God bless both of them. Part of it is wow. in English. Ethan Hawke is in it. Yes. One of our heroes here. And uh, it's been getting some good buzz. Yeah. And when I saw his name, I thought, wait a minute, isn't that the guy who wrote, who directed uh, Shoplifters? Yeah. <laughs> I have to say the two lead actors, Lily Frankie and Sakura Endo, are great in it. Especially Lady Frankie. Yeah. She's, what else? She's, she's been in something. She's great. She's been in something else that's. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen. No, I've never seen her in anything else. There's the premise sound given. You know this social phenomenon of alternative artificial artificial quote unquote families. Yeah. It sounds like it's really worth seeing. It is oh, definitely def- definitely worth seeing. definitely worth seeing. And I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing next week the truth because that's the name of his new of movie. All right. And. Uh, yeah. All right. So my number four. Speaking of very, very, very smart genre movies, um, and this one even more shocking because it was a debut film by you know a well-known performer who was his first time behind the camera, and uh, that's Get Out by uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, I mean, I you know I liked Key and Peele. I thought a lot of the sketch comedy was hilarious. But who knew yeah, that he'd have this kind of it, it's probably the most important genre film in a decade that used genre to make political and social points in a lot of time you know in a way like Dawn of the Dead I, I remember th- when I was a kid seeing Dawn of the Dead mm-hmm. you know and it's the zombies in the shopping mall and you don't have to be uh, you know Noam Chomsky to figure out that what he's talking about is the the the, the empty headedness of consumerist culture it's perfect right. and right. you know what what Peel is talking I mean everyone talks about cultural appropriation and you know here it you know he weds that idea to the Frankenstein story and literally makes yeah. a horror film out of cultural ap- appropriation but to use your standard which you comment on for every film there are also moments in it that are hilarious well I didn't yeah. even think of it as a horror movie, although I guess you would have to classify it as such. I found it funnier than any horror movie I think I've ever seen. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of... You know, my, my main problem with the movie is that I just felt like within the worst first ten minutes or so, okay, I got it. I, I thought it was sort of obvious. I think it's a good movie. I Yeah, no, I didn't... I, I kind of saw it coming, but I didn't see exactly... Me either. And, you know, clearly Peel is someone who, you know... But I definitely agree. There is humor in it, and I think... Oh, his, his friend Rod from the TSA. Yeah. Oh, but I, say, I thought the funniest moment, though, was when... Um, what's her name again? What? Kathleen... Ke- oh, the... Kathleen uh, Keener? The girl? No, no, no. Uh, Allison Williams? Yeah. yeah. When she's by herself, and she doesn't really know what's going on, she's looking for someone else to meet and she's eating the Fruit Loops out of the bowl? Well, exactly. One Fruit Loop at a time and then a couple of sips of milk. <laughs> God. And, you know, and, and plus, so Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford, yeah. you know, and it's so Perfectly wonderful cast. that of course the villains here are not racist, conservative bigots, you know, yeah, wearing... voted like, for Obama. Right. Yeah, I, vote, I vote for him again if I could, as the father <laughs> says it, the, you know, and, and Allison Williams says, and he means it too. I love the fact that the Bad guys are these liberal, artistic, cons- you know, conservative, you know, not conservative, um, suburban yeah. types who would definitely vote for a Democrat and would definitely vote for Obama as many times as they could. I, and, so, and Stephen Root is there too. He's the yeah, well, he wins the he's auction. Always, he's always you know, he's one of those people who can't do any wrong. I thought, uh, and Allison Williams was great, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays the, the guy who gets kidnapped at the beginning, and then we see him later yeah. in the suit, yeah. you know, and he's the one who says the title line of the film, Get Out. 
Yeah. Which is which is wonderful. And just so many great moments. And I just it's summed up by the, the idea of the sunken place. You know, oh, right? And and I think that's kind of where we are now in, in a lot of ways. Oh, yes. And just just watching again, it's so self-assured and so clearly, you know, Peel is a fan of Twilight Zone and Hitchcock. He, and never, he never made any other movie before, no, did he? No. Yeah. And I'll tell and I'll tell you something. You. Us the second film was a lot more flawed, but there's a lot of good stuff in there too. I have only gotten through about an hour of it. I, I well, first of all, any film that begins as a child of the eighties too. Any film that Opens with Hands Across America has got me, and that's us. Um, so one of the cheesiest true. things ever done it by anybody in this country. True. So, and there's a point where uh, Brad Whit- uh, um, is showing Whitford is showing uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who of course is wonderful as the main character, around, and you know, there's all these things from different places in the world, you know, from Bali and stuff like that. And the line is, "It's such a privilege to experience another person's culture." <laughs> beautiful and you know then they're going to do a, a Frankenstein on him and literally take his talent and his body it's the ultimate you know comic metaphor for as I said for cultural appropriation and I thought it was you know just nothing short of brilliant and repeated viewings have not disabused me of that notion Michael actually I'm ashamed to say I've only seen it once it's worth it's worth but I should, I should watch it again Michael you're number my four my four is Lincoln and uh, I won't say too much more about it. Uh, well, there's a lot more we can say. I do uh, want to. This is the first time I've. Uh, it's the it's the only adaptation on my list. And I actually, after having seen the film, I went to read the uh, source material. Wow. Um, Doris Kern Goodwin's Team of Rivals. Yeah. The political genius of Abraham Lincoln. Which took me a long time to read. It's a big book. Yeah, and, it's good, and she didn't and, plagiarize this one. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very proud of her. Listen, sorry, English teacher. Yeah, I got I to. I had to. I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> I, 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 she meant well. <laughs> I have to say, there's one. I have one little problem in the story, in the storyline of Lincoln, in, in the way the movie is done. Because in the in the book, it's just like a, f- a couple of lines. Um, but the whole um, dynamic between Lincoln and his son and his son got mm. tiring after a while. It was mm. like, okay, we get it. Son wants to go to war, you don't. Get move over on, it. Move on. Move on, guys. Yeah, if you and if you, Gordon, it's not the actor's fault. No, it's no, fine, I know, I know what you mean. But it got to be. I mean, if, if that hadn't been in there or hadn't been there so much, Lincoln might have been my number one movie of the decade. And sorry to be the English teacher here, but have you guys read George Sanders's Lincoln in the Bardo? I have not. No. It is. If you want to see, it's about you know because his son Willie dies when he's in office, and the the book takes place in the night of of Willie's funeral, and Willie's lying in state, and it's about the ghosts in the cemetery. It's it's one of the best novels I've read in a decade. So if you're interested in Lincoln and his children, check out George Sanders, who's usually a short story writer. It's his first novel. But Lincoln and the Bardo, check it out. Yeah, and I I, I will, I, if both of you guys have it on there, I will go back to it. I just remember loving Daniel Day-Lewis, but I never I, I, don't love Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm not, a, and I'm not a huge Spielberg fan. I mean, a few of his movies I like. Generally, when he tries to be serious, it's disastrous. <laughs> I think The Color Purple is one of the worst Whoa. movies made in the 1980s. Oh, and it's no argument. Yeah, it has not lasted. It hasn't. It, it, oddly enough, the musical was very 
really good. Yeah, believe it or not. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm a fan of Empire of the Sun. I think that is I know, a yeah. A I think one movie. of the things in, in Lincoln is he he tended to sort of veer away from most of the Spielberg type. Things yes, yes, and stick to the script. Mm-hmm. And he did that also in Munich, which Tony Kushner yeah. also had right. wrote the screenplay. Right. Maybe that was a, uh, maybe that helped. Yeah. I don't know. But, I um, do love the dream sequence at the beginning though, oh. of Lincoln. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I, I think that's beautifully It's done. a lot of talented people working on mm-hmm. perhaps the greatest story this country's ever produced. And once again, so. beautifully cast. There's not a miscast yeah. person. Yeah. And, and even in small... Even in, yeah, even in really small parts of all yeah. the various congressmen. Yeah. Uh, yep, yep. He uses a lot, of, a lot of New York stage people. And uh, I, I loved it. I mean, it, it was it, it was a joy to watch that movie. No, I, feel, um, I feel the same way. He has been on a, uh, a a cold streak. Let's hope West Side Story turns that around. I I have faith. I have faith. I think he we'll might see. be. Able it's got to be an improvement. I'm I'm sorry. I think that's one of the most overrated. Well, you're going to realize oh. that many people out there listening or in the classic movies think that's sacrilege. But I I uh, somewhat agree with you. I'm with you talking about people who can't sing and dance in a musical. Yeah, <laughs> no, except Rita Moreno. And even she was dumb, partly dumbed. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. All right. We're moving up. The air's getting a little thin. The trees are getting a little smaller. But here we go. <laughs> Johnny, number three. Parasite. Sure. Hey. So we, I think we all agree with that one, that oh, it's one of, the, one of the great movies of the last decade. Yeah, just Abs- just abs- outside my time. An absolutely stunning movie. There's, I think that's the best word to describe it. Uh, for anyone out there that doesn't know what Parasite is about, don't uh, give too much away. <laughs> Especially the basement. Yes, it's about a poor family. Um, they really, really are poor too. They're really oh, struggling. Yeah. The they literally son, live under the ground. <laughs> yes, yes. The son has a friend who is has been tutoring a young high school student of a rich family. And he's leaving to go to college, and so he gets it in for, through him. He gets a job, and soon the son finds a way to get his sister a job with the family as an art teacher to the young boy. And then they find She's a brilliant. way. I love her. She's oh, I loved her character. too. I loved her. Can't too. you see there in the corner of it? Yeah, that's the giveaway. <laughs> her too. And I love. And I love when she's before they walk in. She made up a song for herself to remember what she was going to say to them, and then they. They find a way to get their mother in as a housekeeper and cook, and then finally the father as the driver for the family. Who can't quite get the stink of poverty off. Oh, God. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) You could almost say that this is, the setup is, there's a lot of humor in this movie. Oh, my God, tons. Absolutely. You could almost say it's set up as a screwball comedy, but it goes from rather unexpected directions and goes very dark. But not unpleasantly so. I, no. I mean, I, I've heard well, people who don't want to see because they're afraid it's going to be too violent. The violence at the end is a little brutal, but not inappropriately. No, so, no, yeah. no, not at all. And a great cast. Absolutely. Great cast. Uh, directed by Bong Joon-ho, with a great cast, Kang Ho-sung, Sung Yoon Lee, 
Yao Jong Joe and Wu Sik Choi, they're all great. Yep. Great ensemble cast. Yep. yep. I mean, every single person is, even the little kid is good. Yeah. And the, and the, and the, and the mother of the rich family, I think, oh, is. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's marvelous. She's, she's great. Fabulous. Just yeah. that neurotic yeah. edge and the father yeah. dressing up like an Indian chief. And yeah. Oh, it's. It's per- at the end. It's perfect. It yep. it's really is just perfect. It's audacious, and as we said before, he tried to do it in in Snowpiercer. That sort of class, and and you know, it was very. I, I like Snowpiercer, but it was very heavy handed. Whereas this just yeah. floats. This just yeah. floats above. Yes. The, it, it, yeah, it, it seemed effortless. Yeah, yeah. and because it, it's beautiful to look at, but it but always subjugated to what the story is about, the theme. And great use of music. Yeah, I was just yes, going to yes, say, yes, I yes, love yes, the music. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant use of music. And we can almost forgive Oscar for when we when we inevitably do, and when we inevitably do our uh, alternate Oscars for the teens. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll forgive. Oh, we'll I'll forgive them all just for having chosen Parasite. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always, I always keep thinking the uh, the, the <laughs> night of the the big storm when something happens that we won't talk about since there are some people out there. And I see it was when they keep going down and down and down to get back home and down and the flooding oh, and going right, down. Right, right. Oh my God! And she's climbing on top of the toilet to try no, to get a cell phone yeah, signal. No. And oh, oh, and the signal. I, I, I should add, I have a couple of friends who generally do not like foreign language films, and they love this movie. Yep. So I mean, if that's the reason you haven't seen it out there in our audience. Please ignore the fact that it's subtitled. After the first five minutes, you're going to forget about right. it. Right. Please learn to yeah. love the subtitles. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, you know, I've been a fan of Bong Joon Ho since uh, since the host, which was the first of this recent spate of monster films where you don't see the monster. Sort of building on right. what Spielberg did with Jaws, and it's just wonderful. Well, mother, the, the mother thing. is even better. Yeah, the thing. Also, oh my, that's a good movie. The original, and I like the yeah. Carpenter too. Um, but yeah, the, that's a film that will last for a long, long time. And, you know, I always thought that Chen Park was the person who put South Korea on the map uh, mm. with film with Old Boy. Mm. Uh, talk about a brutal film. Yeah, I know Michael's grimacing this, but... Oh, too violent for me. It was brutal. But the, but the setup and the whole thing was just like... And, you know, we, like, oh, wait, they've been making films in South Korea for 100 years? Who knew? Well, now, thanks to him and yep. to Bong Joon-ho, especially everybody knows that South Korea is uh, is the next hotbed of film, possibly. Who knows who else is out there? Maybe. All right, my number three. And again, guys, you will not be surprised because you know that I have a big film crush and that big film crush is on Deborah Granick. And um, her most recent film, Leave No Trace, was my number one film of 2018. But... Uh, Winter's Bone is a flat-out masterpiece. And I was just reading a novel uh, called Disappearing Earth by a woman named Julia Phillips. It's her first novel. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a sort of a mystery story about a kidnapping that takes place in Kamchatka, which is a place that most people don't know because it was restricted to the whole world because it was filled with Soviet military base. Anyway, she does such a good job at describing that place. And I felt like I'd been there. And Winter's Bone reminds us that there are areas in this country that are like that. For example, right. the, the Ozarks on the Missouri-Arkansas border where this film takes place. I felt the film was like almost anthropological. 
I felt it was yeah. like, like we were yeah. really getting to see the tribal customs and habits of the yeah. people that, although there are countrymen and women, we don't know them. We, we would never have occasion and to it was, know it them. was Montana, wasn't it? No, no, it was the Ozarks. It was yes, Missouri. Ozarks. Montana was, uh, Northwest was uh, Leave No Trace. That's right. Um, and I, I actually like Leave No Trace more. Than, I, but, I, I, but, I, but they're kind of very different, really. Yes. Oh, yeah. You can tell it's the same director. Oh, yeah. But the stories are very different. And the other film I like that you might describe as anthropological, which is in my uh, honorable mentions, which is Beast of the Southern Wild by Ben Zeitlin, was anthropological, but it felt a little... It was a little condescending, I thought. Mm-hmm. Although great performances and, and a wonderful film, but it felt it felt like an outsider looking in. Whereas this, it felt like the director had a real empathy with the people of this yeah, area. Definitely. You know, much more so than Ben Zeitlin did with the yeah. characters in yeah. Southern Louisiana in uh, in Beasts. Um, it's based on a novel, and she's fairly faithful to it, but. If for no other reason, it gave us Jennifer Lawrence. And as I've mentioned in these pages before, she, uh, you know, my students at Brooklyn Academy of Music, when I taught my film class there, my teenagers, you know, asked Deborah Granick how she, how did she discover uh, Jennifer Lawrence? Because this is when uh, Hunger Games had just come out and she was huge. And Deborah Granick was very modest. She said, we had an audition. She was the best person there. It was her first It was her first movie. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. It was her first film. <laughs> she was very young. She was like 19, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, She's 17 in the movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And like, like all, I don't want to say too much about the plot, but it's, let's put it this way. It does what all great pieces of art do in that it is incredibly specific at giving us the details of this place that's, you know, a two-hour flight from here, but that we never yeah. see. It's almost hard yeah. to believe that these are people yeah. who live in the America that we live in. Now, and that's what I'm saying that in a bad way. They're just so different from our... These are people who hunt squirrels for food, you know, who are really living on the edge. Her father's missing. Her mother is useless. She sort of literally lost her mind. She has two younger siblings that she's trying to raise and go to high school and put food on the table. The father's missing. And she's thinking about joining the military. Right. And the father's missing, and she... Uh, and and the she's, father has just gotten out of prison, right? No. He's, he disappeared from the police station. Oh, and, okay, that's right. Right, that's right. And, and if he doesn't and show a bond up, on him. What, right, and the bond is on the house. Right. So if they don't find right. him yes. within a certain period, they're going to lose the house. So this is her, and it's not, but it's incredibly specific and detailed, but it's also Antigone. Because what happens is the her obligations to her immediate family come up against the obligations she has to her larger clan because of yeah. course the larger clan was very much involved with her father's business and what happened to yeah, the we father. We won't say what his business was. No, he, he, he cooked meth and was brilliant at it. And they try to convince her that the meth lab blew up and she's like, I don't, I don't. Well, I remember she all. has, she has a line. I remember to her, uh, to the person that shows her that because he's trying to convince her. That right. So that again, someone in the larger said, clan. Said, Who are you kidding? I saw that. I said there were weeds. You know, like right. so, very good. Like yep. uh, uh, knee high or whatever. That, yeah, that you think I'm an a idiot. Long time ago. Yeah, exactly. And so, and one of the most startling moments is when the women of the clan get to. They've told her and told her to stop asking questions. Right. To stop asking questions, and she won't. And they beat the living hell out of her. Yeah. But in the end. 
when it looks like she's going to lose everything, it's the women who band together, right. remember, and take her to her father's body right. so she can prove to the court. Spoiler that alert. Well, no, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 they're, they're, it's not a plot thing. I know. And thrown into that mix is... Because her performance is barely the best one in the film because John Hawks is her uncle. He's great. Yeah, he's, so, he's excellent. He's a marvelous actor. Oscar nominated yep. for that. And there's a scene, remember, where the cop pulls them over and he's got a hold of his shotgun and the cop walks up and yeah. tells him to get out of the car yeah. and Uncle Teardrop and he says makes, and he makes sure he sees it in the yeah. mirror are we going to do this now? yeah are we going to do this now? yeah it's as menacing as and Javier Bardem flipping that, a coin in No Country for Old Men and that, that sheriff is very shady too well and he was part of the it turns oh, out he was part of the problem yeah. right exactly so um, and and like there are connections to Leave No Trace uh, in that the father is very important in Winter's Bone, the father is important as a non-presence that has to be yeah, found. Yes. And, of course, in, in Leave No Trace, it's all about the relationship between the daughter and the father right. as he teaches her you know, survivalist skills. I just watched it again, and to me, it just gets better and better and better each time. And I admire Deborah Brannick, as I said in the previous episode, for, you know, of course, she said that once Winter's Bone came out and was nominated for Best Picture, she got all kinds of offers to do, you know, Law & Order SVU episodes, and she said, that's not why I got in the business. Well, no, that's 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 really, really but uh, not only that, but after making a movie like that and, and Leave No Trace, why would she want to go do that? Yeah. Well, unless she wanted money. Right. Yeah. Well, that's it. I haven't, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. I what, mean, she must have been insulted, actually, by that. Yeah, yeah I'm not, I, well, but I'd you'd be surprised, though, how many, you know. Uh, Lots of great directors. I, I, we I, would last bet, I would bet if it was a male director, she wouldn't have gotten those kinds of offers. Probably. She would oh, have gotten it, offers to make feature and, films. And it's not yeah. a coincidence, Michael, that last episode you were talking about Lisa Childerdanko, right. um, who did The Kids Are All Right. And again, what did she get offered after the success of that film? I have no idea. TV series. Was it? Yeah, yeah she's, a, she's a TV director now. So my number three, and I just think... Uh, as contemporary, as specific as could possibly be, and yet as ancient as Antigone uh, is um, Winter's Bone. And I love Jennifer Lawrence, but that's still my favorite Jennifer Lawrence performance. I, I have a question that has nothing to do with whether or not it's a good or bad movie, but it was something that made me think about uh, things like social services and welfare. Wouldn't this family have been eligible for some sort of aid? I suppose Every so state is different, I guess, but maybe perhaps in that culture, you just don't, don't go to ask. Yeah, yeah. self-sufficiency. Yeah. I mean, one of the best scenes in the movie, as I said, is when... And the other... And you, John, you reminded me, the other great scene, and things constantly go the way you don't think they're going to go. She goes to the army recruiter, and you think that he'd yeah. be like, okay, I got a yeah. live one yeah. here. Yeah. But he's the one. He, say, he says, isn't it a more important battle for you to fight to take care of your family? And yeah. he talks her out of it, yeah. which was lovely and unexpected. Yeah. I don't even know the actor who played the uh, recruiter, but yeah. t the film is filled with moments like that, and I just think it's a straight-up masterpiece. Michael, your number hey, three. My number three is a movie that you two have not seen and mm. I don't think I've heard of, so I brought the DVD just to prove to you that I didn't make it up. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were immediately going to accuse you of that, you with your fantastical mind. Yes. Uh, but wow. this is um, oh, Mike, Mike Lee movie. Uh, Mike, Mike Lee. Lee's. Okay. Uh, Can't argue with Mike Lee. Another year, and it was released 2010. And this is, I would call this a cousin to Life is Sweet and Secrets and Lies. Mm. Um, 
I'll give you a little piece of what the film is about. Um, Tom and Jerry, short for Geraldine, happily married couple. <laughs> not the cat and mouse? Yeah, not the cat and mouse, but that joke is... It might as well get it out of the way. Goes, goes you know, several times. They're a happily married, middle-aged couple. Uh, he's a geologist. She's a social worker for the National Health Service. They have a grown son. And we see them four days in the year. You know, uh, fall, winter. Nice. And um, they're with their friends and relations. And all of them, most for the most part, are pretty miserable. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's basically it. Uh, what I love about Lee, and I, I've always loved this about Lee being an actor, is he takes about a year to write his films because he uses the actors right. That's his to write their, uh, their characters, and a lot of them are the same actors. Well, uh, Jim Broadbent. Jim Broadbent. At the end of this, I want to say something about him because yeah. it, yeah. it makes me uh, uh, frustrated. It's all beautifully acted. Um, uh, trying to write that. I mean, so. is anyone better with actors than Lee? I don't. I, I don't I, think so. I don't think know. I've ever seen a bad performance in a Lee movie. Right. Now, I've seen a few Lee movies that I haven't liked as much as others. Uh, the one about uh, the painter, Mr. Turner. Oh I yeah. It's a little. Well, I think part of it is the, the, is that Turner was a real. Asshole. Yes. So halfway through the movie, you're like, yeah. okay, I've had enough of this asshole. He's well, also my favorite painter in the world, but yes, he was a total Yeah, no, he's great yeah. painter, a great painter. Yeah. But it was, it, it, halfway through the movie, it's just hard to really stay with yeah. him. Agreed. Timothy Small gave it but a great performance. Yeah. Um, Lee, Lee did Topsy Turvy? Yes. yes. Which I, I think is the best love. biographical movie ever made. I and, love Topsy Turvy. And one of the greatest films ever made about the process of creation. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. and yet I know so many actors who hate that movie. Really? Which I don't. Well, I'm get. Gilbert and Sullivan fanatics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I don't understand that. Uh, I, I watch that Topsy um, um, Turvy like once a year. I absolutely love the film. Um, Want some oysters? <laughs> I, I want to mention besides the leads, uh, Jim Broadbent and Ruth Sheen. Um, the her uh, office mate is played by Leslie Manville, who I will bring yeah. up again. Leslie Manville's coming back. I yeah. have a feeling. <laughs> uh, she's um, the office mate from Hell. She's a middle-aged woman who's slowly uh, sinking into um, alcoholism, mm. and she's alone. But when they try to set her up with somebody, she's not good enough. And then the other actor is David Bradley. And I don't know if you guys I remember him. Well, you you know um, um, the Harry Potter movies. Sure, he's the caretaker in all of them. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, 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 okay. And he plays Jim Broadbent's father. I mean, not father, brother, brother, who in this particular segment is burying his wife and has a son who hates him. And there's just this is such a multi-layered film. And I got it. Uh, I saw it in London, and then I saw it here. It did get an Oscar nomination for best original screenplay, but it did not do very well here. Uh, I remember taking a friend of mine, and she hated it. Well, Lee's not a never been a money maker. He's true, true. But other films have done better than this one, yeah. and um, um, it, it, it's definitely a darker film. 
there, although there is humor, but if you don't like Life is Sweet and you don't like Secrets and Lies, you will not like mm. this film. Uh, yeah, no, that definitely has a style yeah. that, that he pursues all the way through. And it's not surprising, you being an actor, that, that, that this is an actor's film and he's an actor's director. And then now I want to say something about Jim Broadbent. Ever since I've seen him in, the, I think the first film I saw him in that I remembered him remembered him in was Life is Sweet and then he did Enchanted April and The Crying Game. Why don't more people know who this man is? I don't know because he's an absolutely superb actor. He's a superb he's actor. He's, he's won the Academy Award, people. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Granted, it wasn't a very good movie, but it was a great performance. And he works, Iris. works constantly. Works constantly. He was in Moulin Rouge. He was in, that was the same year he did Moulin Rouge. Yep. Yeah. I was in the Harry Potter movies. I've right. never seen him give a bad performance. He's a wonderful, wonderful actor. And I'll mention him to movie people who go, uh, sounds familiar. And then I go, he plays the actor who can't stop eating in uh, Bullets Over Broadway. And then they know. And they get it. All right. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> but Jim Broadbent, I mean, he I, I would have to say is my favorite actor working today in movies. I just, That's a bold statement. I absolutely statement. love him. That you're able to boil it down to one like that. If I, I had to, if I you had someone put a gun to your head. If I, yeah, I mean, I just that was, hasn't happened in days, Mom. <laughs> we got past that, John. I will, <laughs> I will see Rob Bennett. I can't anything. help it. <laughs> I will see Rob Bennett. Curse you, vintage Sam. <laughs> I will just see him in anything. He's he, there. Are no bullets. He's, I got the bullets. <laughs> he's such a good actor. I, I, I just. Um, and it frustrates me that no one seems, except people at this table, seem to know who he is. Yeah, well, no, that's I've why you always, hang out with I have us. always loved is. Jim Broadbent since the very first time I saw him. I mean, great, I think the first, actor. first time I noticed him was in the Gilbert and Sullivan film, and I thought he was just okay. extraordinary. And always such warmth and humor to yeah. whatever he does. He did Bullets Over Broadway before that. Uh, he did. He, that was the first time. He was the actor who couldn't stop eating, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> See, there you go. you're a terrible actress. <laughs> <laughs> Do love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> what did she say? Don't say. Don't speak. Don't speak. Don't speak. Don't speak. Don't speak. <laughs> a little piece of trivia: she almost uh, quit. Diane Weist almost quit the first uh, day of shooting. Really? Yeah. Why? She said she couldn't get understand the character. She was having problems with it, and Woody Allen gave her supposedly one sentence of direction: lower your voice two octaves. And she did it, and she. Oh, and, that, and won the Oscar for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving up another notch. I feel like Casey Kasem on American Top 40. <laughs> we gotta, I feel like we've got to do a long distance dedication to somebody. We're not playing a Loverboy song to uh, someone, you know, out in Tulsa. Call it if you think you know what the next movie is. Exactly. <laughs> um, number two, John. Well, in a completely different direction, don't shoot me. My number two We're very is non judgmental. My, my, <laughs> <laughs> that's why, that's why you're my, my number two is Tree of Life. Can I, before I shoot you? Yes. That's my number two also. Oh my God. How do you like that? How and do you I, like that? And I think that Days of Heaven, Thin Red Line, New World, and all the stuff he's done since then, notice I didn't include Badlands in there, yeah. are the most pretentious, obnoxious crap I've ever seen in my life. So I, no one is more shocked than I am that I have a Terrence Malick film at number two. Yeah. Uh, I, know, I know a lot of people are turned off by the movie. One of them is sitting across from me. Oh, good. Yeah, we, we outnumber him. Let's gang up on him. Uh, just uh, to kind of set the premise... Uh, 
Brad, okay, Brad Pitt, Sean Penn, Hunter McCracken, Jessica Chastain. I mean, Who? It's, it's not a conventional narrative. You could almost say it's film as poetry. It is linear for a long yeah, stretch yes. as we go through the yes. boy's life. But I think the closest way to describe it might be to call it a memory play. Absolutely. 100%. Because he's... Uh, Sean Penn plays a middle-aged architect and he's thinking about his past, about... Isn't that Brad Pitt? Oh, that's... He's Sean the Penn. Right, he's the older version of this. Yeah, you know, well, the very, very opening, My. Jessica Chastain and... Uh, Brad Pitt learned that their son has died in the military. And yeah. Ma- and Malik's brother, apparently, we know so little about Malik. Yeah. He's the director yeah. we know least about because he's yes. so private. Apparently, committed suicide in '68 or so when Malik was a young man. Ah. So there are definitely elements of autobiography. Oh, here. definitely. Oh, what they are, what they are, we're left to figure out because we know so little yeah. about Malik. But uh, I just think it's an absolutely beautiful movie, and I every time I start to watch it, I, there's something about this movie that makes me feel so vulnerable and and small because we're Job remember yeah. the film yes. opens with a quote from Job, Job. when yes. God appears in the world when it basically yes. says how dare you question me where were yes. you when I created the yes. heavens and earth and there's the other quote too where Sean Penn is it's the voiceover he's thinking about his past and he says mother father always you, you wrestle, wrestle inside, inside of me. me always you will and that's really the theme of the movie is nature him, and grace and nature and grace he's yep. trying to wrestle with with everything he taught that he was he learned from his mother and everything he learned from his father and are two very very different teachers the mother was very, very kind and compassionate and gentle, and the father is very stern and demanding and, I guess for lack of a better word, strong, although in some ways you could say he's weak because he's disappointed in himself, his ambitions. It's very clear at one point in the movie he really had ambitions to be a musical composer. Yes. But it just it didn't happen. And the music in this movie, Malik's Ooh, music? Oh, my music? God. It's beautiful. You know, he uses um, the Moldau, Schmetna's uh, Moldau, and they, it, he plays the uh, Toccata and Fugue by Bach in the yeah. church. Oh. And the piece that plays during the creation sequence, the 25-minute sequence where, you know, that's straight out of Kubrick, where we right. see the creation of the universe, yeah. is... Uh, and I love all of that. I Some people are too. turned off by that. Some like I'm, I'm people are like, huh, what? Where, where are we? <laughs> it's called Lacrimosa, and it's written by a yeah. Polish composer named yeah. Preisner, who wrote it, actually, as a memorial to his friend... Krzysztof Kieslowski, the film director. So that, and it's just glorious. But that sequence, I'm going to ask you about the end of that sequence. Because that ends with the dinosaur who's injured. Right. And the other one walks up and sort of steps on his head. Yeah. And looks like he's going to crush him and, and then, then, he walks and then he walks away. So is that supposed to signify like the birth of mercy and grace? Is that the beginning of our evolution into mercy and grace? or Possibly it could also be symbolizing the, the differences in his parents. Absolutely. That's nice. I never thought yeah. of it that way, John. Yes, yeah. that, that... Yeah. That's and really ha- good. And then we have... If you were in my English class, you'd get an A on that. <laughs> and then we have the ending. Which, you know, it's funny. Uh, it, clearly, it's supposed to take place after the end of time because that's the last line that Sean Penn says. But I well, took he, it as, he experienced, I guess you could say he experienced a vision. But I took it as the end of eight and a half. 
Mm. Remember the end where all the characters from the film, from yeah. its past, present, yeah. and, and, and up till the moment, yeah. appear together and do that yeah. wonderful kind of circus dance around the... So yeah. it could be everyone he knows meeting up together at the end right. in the days after time. Because it looks like we see the Earth being swallowed by the sun yes. in the image before that. Yeah. Or it could just be this... Fellini eight and a half ending, but I I, I kind of saw it as it's possibly more of a vision. Is that because of he's now understands more about the struggle with his parents and is able to live with himself better. I be, I, I totally buy that, and I I think and also and also has come to terms better with the death of his brother. Because that, that is a big part of why he is remembering all of this. One of the things I noticed in watching the film through this time is that there were very few actual conversations. Yeah. It's a lot of people talking and listening because yeah. the whole film, as you pointed out, is sort of a one-sided conversation with God. Because remember, there's a moment where the where a boy, a friend of theirs, drowns. Yeah. And we hear the voiceover saying, why? Was he bad? Yeah. What did he do? And, you know, it begins with Jessica Chastain saying, well, you know, sort of like, why did you take him from me? Like Job. Right. Asking God to explain the ways of the universe. And that's why the ending, the last line of this movie is in my top ten endings of all time. Because she says... You can take him. I yeah, give, him, I to give him to you. I give you my son. Right. So she has truly become great. She and if you're a Catholic like they are in the film, then she's become God because yeah. God has given His son yeah. to us, and or she's become Mary, or she's even become Abraham, willing to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah. It's such a moving. It doesn't seem like it's her story. It's really Jack's story, Sean Penn's yeah. story, but yeah. her movement from just why God, why to I. With open arm, I give him to you. I give you my son. It's so beautiful. And so but also, there's, the, there's so many little moments of the, the vignettes of him as a child that are so beautiful. I love the part where he he throws the, the rock through the window. Yeah, and just, but it's he he does it just like he says to himself, like I want to be bad kind of thing, and experience that. It, it's. Yeah, no, and when he steals, sneaks into the woman's house, he has a crush on it, steals the slip, uh, and then he's going to bury it, but instead lets it go down the river. Yeah, I mean, and just so many, and for once, Malick's, you know, the Thin Red Line, you'd forget it was a war movie, because it's mostly shots of hummingbirds and grass blowing, (laughs) and then there's some war going around. I actually, that's my favorite Malick movie. All right. Mm -hmm. I I, I, kind of like Thin Red Line, but it does, it's, it's, it's odd. And it's I thought the same movie. about New World too. I thought Andrea I, life isn't odd. No, I. Well, <laughs> but here's yeah, the thing. But, but, it's the, an odd movie. The first yeah. time I saw Tree of Life, I saw it on big screen. Mm-hmm. The second time I saw Tree of Life, I saw it at BAM with on a big screen with a live orchestra. Oh and wow! And let me and chorus and let me tell you something. It is a religious experience, literally, figuratively, and otherwise. Seeing it now for this on a small screen, I can see why anybody watching this on a small screen would say, John, Josh, what the hell are you guys talking about? Well, Mike I, is right. I saw this it, film is terrible. I saw it. I, I didn't say it's terrible. I, I just found it deep down kind of dull. <laughs> I, just, well, I didn't find it dull. And I saw it at the theater. I, I just, the only thing, the most thing I remember is an old lady sitting two rows ahead of me saying very loudly, 45 minutes, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> And I, I, know I know a lot of people will react that way to this kind of yes. a movie. And I didn't I think, sure. <laughs> I think but, but wouldn't you say that about 2001 also? Yeah, I think, well, I, I yeah. think there is something about it, though, that I, I don't know what it is 
I can't put my finger on it. I just know that every time I start, because I've watched it a few times at home before we did this, and I just I just start to watch a few minutes before I know it, another hour and a half is going to be like, oh my God, I've watched this much of it already. It just, it Maybe me, I it need to give it another shot. It pulls me in, and I don't, I don't, it, I don't but know. It's, it's, seeing it on a small screen, you won't, it, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have any impact at all. I always think it does, I, but I think you have to see it in a big screen first. Well, I if did. you can. So, so for me and for John, uh, Terrence Malick's Tree of Life from uh, 2011 is at our number two. You have to be willing to go on the ride with it. Yeah. I, well, like, two, like 2001. I expected I mean, to like it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, not a huge fan of 2001. I'm sure there were a lot of old ladies in 1968 standing up in the Stargate sequence saying, What's going on here? I was one of them. Is he on the drugs or something? <laughs> I was so. one of them. What's that big slab? I don't get it. Although, come to think of it, my grandmother did like that movie. There you go. Everybody I saw hates. 2001 three times in my college years on... on at the big theater on the screen. I saw 2001 I when it came out with my father. Wow. Mm-hmm. I kind of, I mean, I was pretty young when right. it came out, and I didn't quite understand all of it, but I did kind of like it. My father absolutely hated it. Yeah. No, well, I... And it was an incredibly successful film. No, when yeah, I, 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 I told you... I, I know it was. I went, to see it over, I went to see it over on 12th Street at the big theater... Um, here in, our, in the East Village, and uh, I ha- this was last year, and I have to say that most of the audience was twenty and thirty th- somethings. I was surprised. I thought the audience was going to be my age and older, and they loved it. So for some reason, two thousand. I don't know if Kubrick overall, but two thousand one has resonance with the next generation, and I'm kind of hoping that Tree of Life will have the same kind of legs. I don't know. The, the next time two thousand one comes back. I'd like to try it one more time at the theater because it's been 40 years since I've seen it. All right, Michael, number number two is a very, very recent film. In fact, I think it's still at the theater. It's Pain and Glory. Mm, Um, Pedro Almodovar, who is one of my favorite directors, and this is his best film in 14 years. Um, Yeah, I can't argue with that. Did you see it? Uh, Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's... Fantastic! It's an incredible. It's very Fellini-like, you know. Absolutely, with, it's yeah. his oh, there's story. Definitely that influence. Yeah. It's his. It's his story. It's a film director who can't or won't direct anymore, and who's haunted by his demons, personal and professional. Um, one of the reasons I. Well, he's also in a lot of physical pain, and he's in a lot of physical pain, which I apparently is true. Uh, the one thing that Almodovar says is he was not a heroin. He's never taken heroin. That's good. To which hear. I believe. Good to know. But uh, for the last decade, he's um, he's been directing films that he's adapted from other sources. Uh, uh, Julietta, The Skin I Live In are two of them. Right. And I, I, I'll see anything that he does, but they're not as good as his original scripts. Uh, I mean, Woman on the Verge of a oh, Nervous God. Breakdown. Um, Talk to her. Talk to her. Bad education. Yep. All about my mother. These, I think, are some of the oh, best that's films a, that's a brilliant made in the last quarter of a century. Yeah, it's good. Um, but they don't. These adaptations, they're good films, but they don't have the thrill as his original ones. And um, this one, he, he's just really back, in, and he is continuing to make movies. This isn't his swan yeah, song, yeah. even though he is he is seventy. 
a superb performance by Antonio Banderas. Oh, yeah, Mas- Mastroianni to his he is, he is great and in he it. He won, really is great in it. He, except for the Academy Award, which he was happily nominated, he won every acting award, Critics Award, New York Film Critics, L.A. Critics, National Society. He is just wonderful in it. I've always enjoyed him, but I've never thought, oh, what a great actor. This, it's like, oh my God, what a great actor. I love the opening. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. When he's in the pool. Uh-huh. And um, even though it's a drama, there's a little humor in it. It still has the wonderful use of color. Always. That uh, Almodovar does. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's just, frankly, in a perfect world, I would have liked to have seen that win foreign language film. And <laughs> Parasite <laughs> win the best picture. <laughs> would have been nice. That would have been, but, you know, that's okay. That's okay. I love Parasite, too. But um, I'm just... Because as a gay man, it was fascinating to watch a movie about... This is definitely an old man's movie, Mm. like The Irishman. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. This is definitely an old man's movie, but it's also an old man gay... An old gay man's movie. Interesting. How many movies... Can you think of? I just thought it was a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. No. (laughs) But uh, I, I'm just um, was thrilled that he's back. That uh, even though his his movies that he's made for the last since Volver was the last Mm, uh, really good one, really really good one. The the ones even made just have not in the interim have not been as good, but um, this one I loved. I've seen it three times. I intend to buy it. I think I think one of the things that I, I was really struck by this was that he seemed to have more control over what he was doing oh, yeah. in, his, in his use of film. Because sometimes he just lets himself go crazy, and sometimes mm-hmm. it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, occasionally. But I think over overall, I've never seen a bad on one of our movie. I've never seen one where I've seen. Oh my god! No, him at his worst is still more yeah. interesting than just about anybody he else. He really, truly is, and he's a he's a director who got a lot, uh, several. Offers to do uh, Hollywood movies in the English language. He says, oh, really? He right. didn't say specifically what. Interesting. And turned them all down. No. <laughs> and don't forget Penelope Cruz. And Penelope uh, Cruz. Oh my God, I love Penelope Cruz. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. plays his mother in flashbacks. And uh, she's. Think man, Selma Hayek. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she is. <laughs> She's awesome. She's I, love, I love Penelope Cruz. And, um, <laughs> and everybody, once again, lot of, several uh, smaller parts. A couple of the actors I've not seen before. Oh, perfectly cast. Everybody's excellent. And the little boy is perfectly cast. And the little boy is good. And I hate children. <laughs> You know, Mike played, I, Mike played I, the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I, I, I eat children for lunch. <laughs> exactly. I like the child catcher. <laughs> it is the only part of that movie I remember. I have lollipops for you. I saw that almost 50 years ago, too. <laughs> I saw it when I was four. It scarred me for life. Yeah, well, the child catcher, he was misunderstood. <laughs> Because his wife couldn't have a baby. That's true. Don't you remember? Oh, my good Lord. All right. I'm going to try to save us from this uh, before we get to our number. You brought up Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. That's true. I did. I did. Um, before we get to our number ones, we're going to just do a quick list for each of us of our runners-up. I actually have 11 because I could. I tried to eliminate one more, and I just couldn't. So, so do I. We're just reading the lists as films that, you know, if you're interested in exploring this decade, 
investigate further, um, you know, definitely follow up. John, what's your uh, what's your tip? Oh, well, I have nine since I cheated and put six in my top Oh, good. Five. So you're nine and my 11. We got 20. <laughs> we got 20. Uh, once again, uh, another quickly, sand miracle. <laughs> quickly, Brooklyn. The kids are all right. Sure. Leave no trace. Yes. Uh, Ida, Hell or High Water. Oh, my God. Yes. yes bravo. Best movie of 2006. Arrival, which I know some people are like, huh? Life of Pi. Wait, Arrival, the science fiction one? Yes. Yeah, with Amy yes. Adams. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And 12 Years a Slave. Absolutely, that's on my list. I think everyone should say it. Yep, McQueen's Brain. And The Farewell, which just came out this past year. Which I, I really, still haven't seen. Oh, yeah, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. Which I love, and I'm sort of see upset it. that it didn't get the attention it, it deserved. It should have, yeah. It's a very, very, it's uh, a beautiful movie. Very moving. I love that movie. I, I'm... I want to see it again. Yeah, no, and I, I definitely have to see it. Um, my uh, my runner-up 11 are films that almost everyone has mentioned at some point or another in this process. Parasite, 12 Years a Slave, Black Panther. Ah. Uh, by just a whisker over Fruitvale Station, which is 2010. I if we're like talking about and when we a little sneak preview of next week, next time when we talk about our uh, p- potential auteurs for the 2020s, Ryan Coogler is going to be at the top of my list. Beast of the Southern Wild, which, in spite of it's not being quite as feeling real as uh, Winter's Bone, I loved um, First Reformed, which is on Mike List Roma. Uh, Dunkirk, Timbuktu. Did you guys see that Sisako's film? Tim- one of Timbuktu, I did. Brilliant. Oh my god, wait, I wait, love that movie. Remind me. What was that? I, no, I don't want to go into it now. I'm just, we're just giving the list, but no. you got to check it out. It's one of the, the great... I haven't seen that. It's, it's about... On the surface, it's about terrorism and Islam, but it's about so much more than that. It's about the personal impact yes, of yes, that yes, rather yes. than the political. I have seen yes. it. Um, Birdman... Uh, which I still continue to love, even though it's kind of faded in reputation. Amour, I like Birdman. Amour, which Michael had on his list, which is just extraordinary. And uh, for Hadi's A Separation, which I thought was just extraordinary. Very good movie. Yep. Michael, your uh, honorable mentions? I have 11, too. <laughs> we just can't help ourselves. The Irishman, Her, First Reformed, Cold War. First Reformed is on my list. Yep. Yep. Cold War, Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen's, Django Unchained, mm. Funny Tarantino, Nebraska, Alexander Payne's Pain. best film, mm. a movie that I would have had on my 10 best list if we had done it, Diane, by Kent Jones, who directed um, Truffaut Hitchcock. This is his first narrative film with Mary Kay Place. Superb. Right, we was just out last year, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, superb film. Before Midnight, the uh, Richard uh, Linkletter, uh, the third in his trilogy. Brilliant. 45 Years, that's Andrew Haig with Charlotte Rampling and uh, Tom Courtney. And the funniest movie of the decade. Spy. Spy. Oh, yes. I, I thought of that. I thought of Spy. I was going to put <laughs> so that one in there. Spy. Oh, I, I mean, I there's spy. no question that it was the funniest movie. Yeah, I love Spy. It, it didn't have a ton of competition, but yes. It I, didn't we, have. And like, wait, we all actually agree on something. That's, yeah, this, no. This, this, I, vintage I'm Sand first. so sad. I've seen Spy three times, and I want to watch it. I watch it every yeah, time it's on. I, I love that movie. Even if it's, uh, you know, it's an R-rated film, and even if it's... Uh, you know, the cut out, cut out a few dirty words. I still love it. It's 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 a great movie. And with that, we ascend to the summit. 
The number one film of the 2010s. My, we ascend to the my, summit. We ascend to the summit. The, the peak of the peak. The highest of the high. John, kick it off. My number one pick is Roma. And I have, I, have, I have to say that when I was trying to put this whole list together, I mean, I, I find it very hard putting lists together of movies and ranking them and saying, well, but that one's, but maybe this one's, that, well, that, what about this one? You know, what to eliminate, what to add, and like, oh, wait a minute, I gotta change the, the order business, again. John. Change the order, <laughs> but the one that I never changed from being my number one movie is Roma. Mm. Directed yeah. by Alfonso Cuaron. Who and we have to talk about Yalitza Aparicio. Oh, absolutely, where did he find? She, I oh mean, no, no previous professional acting experience. She has a background in early childhood education, yep. and she is absolutely superb in the movie. She's great. There are that moment where she delivers the, the baby, and she's in the foreground, and the oh stillborn babies in the background, and they're wrapping it up. You yeah. know, do you want to hold? Yeah. There are so many moments like that in this movie. That's that's what I wanted to say. Is that um, first of all, the photography in this film <gasps> oh. is so beautiful, and it, it's in black and white, but it's crystal clear black yep. and white, and yet there's not pretty unnecessary shots in it. The photography is always serving the characters and the story and the themes in the movie, especially in the beach at the and, end. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And there are just so many shots, though, that are so beautiful. And the movie just has it all. It has this big, impressive scenes like the fire. Yep. Which he did in one long take. One take! I don't know how the hell he did that, how he put that all together. Um, and the long takes, the, the orchestration of all the different people and all the different planes mm-hmm. of, of view, uh, it has it all. And yet, because besides the big impressive scenes, we also have these very, very moving, small, intimate moments between uh, Yalitza Apatricio and maybe and one of the children, or or the mom, or her when she just, for example, has to go and find her boyfriend. Boyfriend. Oh, oh my heartbreaking. God. Heartbreaking. Who turns out to be horrible. Yeah. Oh, and he, he's training in the... Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, which is all true because that's part of... There is the backdrop of the political situation in Mexico at that time, which was basically sort of an authoritarian... I can't speak. Authoritarian government. Yeah. And he's part of, part of what was known as the Falcones. Right. And they were a paramilitary group that was being trained with the help of the CIA mm. to attack the student demonstrations. Right. And they see where they're in the furniture store and they... And yeah, they're, they're going to buy the crib. Oh, my God. Wow. What a great scene. And it just keeps building. It goes from that great scene to the, to the great scene in the hospital to the great scene that they had at the dinner table. When she, the mother, tells them that, you know, the parents are splitting up and they had that moment where they go to have ice cream and in the background is the wedding going on and you had these two different families at such ends of, of, of the world and hanging over them is the, this big, like, sculpture of a crab. <laughs> With the claws right. jutting out right. over them. No, and, 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 then, love- and an amazing, amazing scene on the beach. Was oh, my God. Is one of I the will most, never forget that as long as I It's one live. of the most moving scenes yeah. I've ever seen, ever, yeah. in movies, yet it's moving for all the right reasons. Yeah. It's not manipulative. No. Not manipulative. Not at all. Not at all. And it's it, it leaves you with a sense of feeling positive. Yeah. And 
he made this. He, he won the Oscar for Gravity. Yeah. Another one of the few science films. Sci-fi movies. I do. I do like Gravity. I do like Gravity very much. And he could have made anything he wanted, and he goes back to make something as personal and beautiful as this. My my admiration for him knows no Yeah, between him and Yari too and Del Toro, the three of them, and they're such good friends, and they work together and support each other. It's 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 a unique thing. said I. uh, He said he describes the emotional arc of Roma as moving from a drop. To a stream, to a river, to an ocean. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like Perfect. that. No, and what I love about water imagery is all over very, the place. very big in Roma from the very first moment. It's also a film. It's also an intersectional kind of story, as the cultural critics would call it, because it's about it's, it's about, about class social and class, and and but ethnic. it's also about gender because the yeah. men yes. in the film are buffoons. Yeah. And not not exaggeratedly so. No. Yeah. No. Believably so. So everybody's a believable character. So while the women are separated by their social class, they're joined together by, you know, by who they are in terms of their gender. And it's so it's complicated at every level. And and yet still intimate and personal and beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, uh, and very accessible. It's not yeah. like you have to be have a degree in film history to no, not at all. this movie. All right. So it, for me, my number one film has been my number one film since the moment I saw it six years ago. And nothing has even come close to displacing it. And that's Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Um, it's, uh, so again, some people would argue that it's not even his best film of the decade, that Before Midnight is a better film. A lot of people do. But if you think about it, you know, Linklater's been one of our most interesting filmmakers for 30 years now. He's had more than his share of failures. I mean, especially recently, he had, um, you know, Everybody Wants Some and um, uh, Last Flag Flying, you know, the sort of sequel to Last Flag. It was okay. It's all right. And uh, the Bernadette. Right, and Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Uh, and which is awful. But this film, Boyhood is kind of, not only is it a gimmick that somehow actually worked, you know, let's go back and film the same people for 12 years in a row. That, that aspect of the movie I love. Yeah, and, me too. And it works. I mean, he got very lucky in that, you know, yes, his, he did. You know, the, 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 the sister who's his daughter in real life, Linklater's daughter, is, is fantastic, and Ellis Coltrane, who plays Miles, and, but, but see what... It's all of Linklater's themes. You've got the philosophy. It's people walking around talking philosophy like in Slacker or in Waking Life. You've got the creativity of kids like you do in School of Rock, which I love and you guys love even Mm -hmm. more. Um, The tech evolving and sort of taking over our lives like it does in Scanner Darkly. Um, Parties as transitions and celebrations, the graduation party and stuff like Uh Dazed and Confused, Mm -hmm. like everybody wants some. And so, and also the growth of couples as couples and individuals, especially Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette, but also their subsequent partners that you see in the before films, which, you know, the three of them taken together are his, you know, I think his masterpiece. But this shouldn't have worked. It should have been just a gimmick that was half too clever for itself. And But what separates this film for me from other great films about childhood, like 400 Blows, for example, is I love 400 Blows. Who doesn't love 400 yeah. Blows? Yeah. Film fan. But the parents are just like the parents in the Charlie Brown cartoon, <laughs> off screen going, <laughs> 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 here you not only get to see 
the kids develop, but you also get to see the development of Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette. Yeah. Especially, some, especially the Patricia Arquette yeah. character. And she's, and she's great. In it. Yeah, she, she, and, and she I deserved their Oscar. Ethan Hawke has shown up for us a couple of times yeah. here, and you know, in First Reformed, and, and I, I think he's, I, he changes too in a way that's much more conventional, depressing. He trades in the GTO for a minivan. Right. Yeah. He becomes that guy that he swore he would never be, and that's and that's just lovely. And the thing I love about that is they keep mentioning over and over that the adults are not closer to figuring out who they are than the right, kids. Right. And you know, not too many films are willing to come forward and say that, especially films about children. The the work of art it reminded me of most is Catcher in the Rye. Because mm. Catcher in the Rye is a, is a book where every adult in the story, whatever you feel about Holden Caulfield, every adult in the story lets him down. True. From yes. his parents to his teachers, yeah. every adult lets yeah. him down. And that, if you listen to some of the advice that the various adults in these in, in this film give to the kids, you're like, oh my god, really? You you got to be kidding me. I, I love. Hitchcock always said that film is life with the boring bits taken out, and that's what Hitchcock's films were. And we love Hitchcock. We've done yeah. two episodes on Hitchcock alone. We'll probably do to, more. <laughs> and we will. But to me, this is the inside out of that. This is the exciting moments taken out and a, a, a collection of just very quotidian. There are tons and tons of meals in this film. Small scenes. Yeah. Discussions yeah. of pop culture, talking about the new Star Wars film or, you know, him going on. And this is what got me to the film because I make mixes all the time about Ethan Hawke making his Black Album mix, you know, and carefully laying out the Beatles solo right. stuff. Right. And he goes on for like five minutes about <laughs> how he's doing that. that. It's, and I was like, <laughs> OK, I'm in. That's me. Um, so many great moments. Um, and, and I love the moment at the end where Patricia Arquette had casually said to the guy who was fixing her pipe the guy who didn't speak English that you know hey you're smart you should go to school and at the end of the film they run into him and he's the manager of the restaurant and he got his associates and he said I've always wanted to thank you for this and as a teacher man that just got yeah. me yeah. And, and I understand Michael you've expressed your displeasure no, with, 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 with the ending well not, not so much the ending I just came away from the film I thought the Patricia Arquette character was, was marvelous you know Whenever what's she next was my funeral <laughs> Yeah, such a great which I've which I've said a couple times in my life. What time I is it just now? <laughs> found the, the the part of the kid. You said it just before. Exactly. The part of the kid, not that interesting. Yeah, I. And I, that was my problem with the film. I just like you don't like anybody below the age of thirty. Though, you notice so. a pattern? <laughs> no, that's not true. Hey, I love the book Smart. And they that's, all true. that's true. That's true. That's true. He that's does. True. But does. the last line, of the last line of the film is basically when he's gone off to U, U Texas El Paso, and then he goes out with his roommate and girlfriend, and the girlfriends, you know, who they're clearly going to get together, and she looks at him and says, "You know, how everyone says sees the moment." She says, "Isn't it kind of the opposite? Doesn't the moment sees you?" And that's what these. That's what this film is. It's like, to me, it's like standing up close at a Seurat painting and all you see is these little dots that don't really mean much mm -hmm. in and of themselves. These little, you know, boring moments of, you know, a meal or, you know, the drunken stepfather. And, uh, and um, but if you step back, it's this beautiful portrait of life. Yeah, it is. And yeah. I, I, I've just never seen anything like it, but it's, and, and, it's really interesting that Linklater has chosen now to take on Merrily We Roll I know. the same way. Because remember, the original production had kids 
in age makeup didn't work. The revival had older actors getting younger as as it's told backwards. That didn't work. So what Linklater's doing is a, he's doing a boy a boyhood on it. He's filming them a little bit every year, and it'll you know come out in 10, 15 years. Twenty. Twenty years. I love it. Yes. Twenty. Yes. And so it, I mean, it's my one of my least favorite Sondheims. I love it. There I said it. Wow. <laughs> I, I just don't like the book. And when I heard that they were going to do that, I, my first thought was, well, chances are when it comes out, I won't be alive, and that's okay. <laughs> he's not going to be alive, and he can live with that. I can live with that. <laughs> 20 years, missing that, and missing the next uh, version of A Star is Born, right, I can live with go. that. But, you know, I... Then I, again, you might be. You might <sighs> be, Michael. You're, you might live to be 105. Exactly. Exactly. I... And Trump will still be president. <laughs> for president because the for devil life. never dies. Yeah, it's, it's, there you if go. Trump is still president when I'm 105. I will not be 105. No, and, and the thing that stays with me, and you know, as someone who's worked with kids for the last 30 plus years, just everything's constantly changing. They're, how many times do they move? How many times, like they yeah. have this stepbrother and sister that they oh, love God. that they've spent years with, and then, and then you know, move. and yeah. one day, are we ever going to see them again? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's that lack of stability that lends credibility to me to the kids' characters that may, sort of defines them and yeah. who they are. And for a lot of people in this generation, that's unfortunately a truth. So Boyhood is, uh, on paper, a film that shouldn't have worked. It's way too smart for its own good. But for me, <coughs> I, I was, I'm more moved by it every time I see it. That's actually, you're talking about that part when they have to move and the like they're asked, like, are we going to see them again? And I remember how... At the, the dinner scene when they're first sort of together and the two boys bond right away. Yep. And yeah. and the the stepfather seems decent but turns out yeah, to be and that scene where he sends the, sends the kids really into the liquor store to cash the <laughs> yeah. check. Oh my god. Yeah. Just what these kids endure in their own kind of yeah. way. Just just mm-hmm. just beautiful and smart and a real summa of one of our most constantly interesting directors going on three decades. He is yeah. an interesting director. Uh, I do I, I will generally go see anything uh, that he does. This one, once again, the hype, and I was just so somewhat disappointed. I kind of felt the same way. I do like <laughs> the movie. Yeah. I do like the movie, and it I lost know. to uh, Birdman for Best Picture. Yeah, which I also like. I, I, thought, know a lot I thought Boyhood was better than Birdman. I yeah, think. a lot of people I know don't like Birdman. I, I like And it. so why do I get this nagging feeling that we're going to be ending on Paul Thomas Anderson? Is yeah, that a possibility, <laughs> Michael? Yes. This, don't this, apologize. It's brilliant. This movie, Phantom Thread, is not only the best movie, I think, of the decade, but it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Mm. I, and I, I don't know why. I mean, my, the first time I saw it, and I think I've related this to you, but not on the air, it was at a screening. I was by myself. and a sad screening? A sa- well, it was a uh, semi-private. Uh, you had to be invited. Mm. It, it was um, not the uh, bi-weekly things that I usually go to. So there was maybe about 50 people in the uh, theater. And I knew nothing about it except this was going to be Daniel Day-Lewis's final film. That's all I knew about it. I didn't mm-hmm. know the plot or anything. And when it was over, I almost got into a fist fight with two guys over the film <laughs> because they hated it so much. Really? And I, I said to two other women I was 
we were talking before the film, I said, gee, I kind of like this. This is really fascinating. And these two guys got up and they stared me down and they said, you are kidding, aren't you? No, no, I, I really did like it. Oh, come on, he's kidding. One guy says to the next, I go, no, I really liked it. Well, you're just sad. And these are two guys. What? Yeah. Odd, odd reaction. And these us, we come beat the hell out of them. And these were two guys in the they industry. Just band sticks together. Very strange. In the industry. I mean, I don't know how they got invited, but but I've talked to a, I know a lot of people who do not like this movie, and I kept quiet about it. I didn't even. I didn't rush to. I like it a lot. To either I, one like, obviously, the, obviously, I like it a lot because I put it in my top six. <laughs> I, I, I think Anderson's done better, and I'm a huge PTA fan. But See, I, I, I'm I, not. I mean, I I've seen all his movies, and some I liked other better than others. I I, I did like Magnolia. I didn't like Boogie Nights. I thought that was way too long for its own good. Oh, I love Boogie Nights. And I I didn't like There Will Be Blood. Ah! I'm sorry, I didn't. I have, maybe I You're kidding, right? <laughs> see what I did there? Yeah, see? I, made, I recreated a traumatic experience from Michael. <laughs> well, Michael. I thought... Bring it to the surface so we can talk about it in... I have to say, I thought, there was some, I thought there was something wrong with me for liking this movie because reviews hadn't been out yet. I yeah. abandoned my son! <laughs> You are. You already won the, the Daniel Plainview sound alike contest. Don't gloat. Or the John Houston. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and it wasn't. I remember it wasn't going to open until Christmas Day, so the right. reviews weren't coming Christmas out. Day. And then the new Critics Awards come out, and I go, "Oh, it won Best Screenplay. Maybe I'm not sick or nuts or I. I, 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 I cannot." Explain why I like this film so much. It's mm. it's um, it's exquisite. It's exquisite. It's a combination of Hitchcock, Kubrick, and Joseph Losey, among others. Nicely, nice, exactly, yeah. nicely done, Michael. Um, yeah. For people who don't know it, Daniel Day Lewis plays Reynolds Wood- Woodcock. I love that name. He's a, he's a clothing designer from England in the 1950s. He's a very exacting person. Food has to be exact. Mm. Everything has to be exactly so. He goes through women like Kleenex. Um, and his older sister, Cyril, played by Leslie Manville, who Brilliant. I think is also one of the best actresses. The first time I remember her was from Topsy Turvy. Yep. She's Mrs. Um, Mrs. Gilbert. Yep. And then she's bringing in another year. And then she... Did finally get an Oscar nomination for this. Uh, she plays kind of the Mrs. Danvers-like sister. But to use the Hitchcock references is making this seem too trivial. It's it's he meets a woman, an, a waitress, a waitress, yeah, and we think he's gonna just throw her away again. You know, he'll he'll fawn over her and then he'll hate him, hate her. And she turns the table. Well, he's, he's, you could almost say he's obsessive compulsive. Oh, absolutely. He needs to have everything a certain way Mm -hmm. at all times of his day. Yeah, can't be be too much butter. um, A lot of food metaphors in this movie. Can't be too much butter on the asparagus. Yeah, and and is a big deal about sounds. Yes. So then what do you make of this sort of Munchausen elements of the ending? I don't know. I like the ending. I like everything about the film. 
It just so it's, well, it's I, I think at the core it's a battle of wills. Yeah, yes, and she wins. Yeah, yeah she well, does. See, I, of, see, I have a but question. But he does see, get have, what he wants. In I a way. have a question about the ending because you see her talking to the doctor. Yeah, and you can sort of infer that she, it's somewhat confessional. To, mm-hmm. to the doctor. It's possible. We don't that's, know at what point it is. Yeah, we're not. And then there's sort of like it goes to that part where you see them with a baby and are like, well, is this something? The way she's speaking, is this something that she's wishing for or had wished for? Is it something she's remembering? Is it what really happened? Because I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, she finally went too far with the mushrooms and she killed them. That's and what I thought. Con- and she's confessing to the doctor. That's what I thought the third and fourth time I saw the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's funny because... I, every- no, I really like the I movie I like the lot. movie a lot, although everyone who did a top ten list for the decade has the master on there, and I actually like Phantom Thread better than the master. Oh, I, I thought you. the master Well, I think anybody that's interested, though, in this director should see the master. Oh, sure. And, and I think, actually, I, think I have to see the master again because I think there's some absolutely beautiful, gorgeous moments in that movie... But it doesn't I mean, add up to anything. Yeah, that's how I kind of felt when I when I saw it. Two which, great performances, but yeah. I to will, what end? I will say I've seen all eight of his films, and I think all of them are actually worthwhile. Even Boogie yes. Nights, yeah. which yep. disappointed me initially because I've heard so much about it. Um, even the one with uh, Adam Sandler. Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. And also Inherent Vice. Let's throw that one in there. Inherent Vice, yeah. Which was, to me, was like a poor remake of The Long Goodbye, but that's a whole other story. Not as good as, yeah. Right. But it, it wasn't bad, though. Uh, none of his films are bad. No. This one is fantastic. i got to say something, too, about the music. Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood, Radiohead. Uh, usually my, my biggest gripe about movies is too much music. I said that about uh, Dunkirk. I said that about 1917. Too many children. <laughs> <laughs> Put them and lock them in a safe having listened music all day. <laughs> Mike's dream come true. <laughs> yes, it is. With the little portholes, I can watch them. <laughs> All right, now the truth is finally, after 19 episodes, the truth is finally revealed. I'm glad, I'm glad we came. Can we pick this up again next week? I think our time's up. Okay. <laughs> Are you done? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Stick a fork in me and see. But in in this film, it's eighty minutes of the of the of the running time, which is one hundred and thirty uh, minutes. Is is music? There's music in the background. Yeah, well, Johnny Greenwood is tons, is just tons. In fact, I went, I went to Bam to hear. Hear it live. To hear it live. Yeah. Which sort of was a mistake because you can't hear the dialogue. At all? No, that's and not good. It, it's just, if it was Tree of Life, it would have yeah, made a difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, the, the, the woman behind me hadn't seen the movie yet, and at the end of it, she she goes, I, "I really don't know what's going on." I said, "That's because you can't hear what people are saying." I'm sorry, but it's very possible that the Anderson Greenwood partnership is going to be the next Spielberg Williams or whatever. I or hope so. Burton Elfman or whatever you want to use. Hitchcock, Bernard Herman. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but Hitchcock. Oh well, let's not even go there. <laughs> All right, so, so um, I do know a lot of people, personally, friends of mine, who hate this movie or dislike it. So I, can't. I, I think they, it's going to prove you why right, they right. hate it. I know some people, for some reason, see this as sexist or yes, Ooh. or abusive to but women, which I don't take. But she she wins. Yeah, not <laughs> I mean, you could say the character is, but I don't see how you could say the movie is. 
Yeah, I don't see that at all. Uh, one of the criticisms I have is that... The, or that the, it's, 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 this is a sick couple. It's basically three people. And, I mean, there are other people in the film who have smaller roles, but it's basically a three-person film. Yeah. And, yeah. They're, and they're all unlikable. That's... Absolutely. One of the but big criticisms. Three, three excellent performances. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah. Yep. My, my, my God, it, it really is. And... and if it's true that this is Daniel Day Lewis's final film, he couldn't have gone on a bit. No, that's one of those road. movies I w- you you couldn't take out one shot. No, nope, no. Nope. I love I love every every bit. It, it was not a successful film, even though it did uh, get several Oscar nominations. It won for costumes and it was up for best picture. That's when I began to tell people, I guess I can. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with me. I guess I can really... Because uh, I, I remember I didn't say a word to you about it until, I think, until the Oscar nominations came out. Yeah. Because I, I, I was afraid. I saw it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot, too. Uh, I saw it that Christmas day. And I, I've seen it at the theater. I've seen it like 10 times. Wow. I mean, that's how much... I really like this. And I, it is... Do you own stock in the movie? I wish I did. Well, no, I do. I'm glad I don't because it did not make money. It wasn't a bomb, but it... Uh, <laughs> well, you've seen the producers many times, we know. But it, 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 and before you can say set three... <laughs> but it barely made its cost. So it was not what you'd call a successful I, film. I, I, I think all, none of his films are really... No. But Maybe I, Boogie Nights. I think history is going to prove you right. I think history is going to land on your side with this film. I, oh, yeah, Definitely. Definitely. I, no, I, I really like the movie. I think it's excellent. I have it in my top five. I cheated. I, I was actually surprised you had. I mean, I knew you said you liked it, but when you said it was on your top, I go, oh, really? Oh. I, I mean, I almost felt vindicated. All right, my friends. So there you have it, Team Vintage Sand, our top films of a decade that is too easily written off as movies playing second fiddle to, you know, the Breaking Bads and Mad Men's of the world. Film is still there. There's still some powerful, amazing stuff out there. And in our next episode, episode 20, we're going to be speculating based on, you know, some recent work on who might be the directors to watch in the decade to come. But first, instead of doing our usual necrology, a brief tribute, as we promised in our last episode, to Kirk Douglas. Very quickly, guys, top three favorite Kirk Douglas mine, roles. Mine are Lonely Are the Brave. Me too. Seven Days in May and Paths of Glory. Paths of Glory is on mine. Colonel Dex. If I had to choose a fourth, I'm going to cheat. I think that would be Lust for Life. I think he's quite good in it. Yeah, I, I mean... The movie doesn't I don't all like the movie. quite work. I don't love the movie. Well, I, it's... Partly because it's about Van Gogh, who was a very depressive, melancholy person. I, I have Paths of Glory, I have Lonely of the Brave, and um, Ace in the Hole. Which, Ace which in the has, Hole is It took 50 yeah. years for that film to find its audience, but it was yes, worth every I, minute of it. Yeah. Check it out. And Michael, your mine is Lonely of the Brave, Ace in the Hole, and Seven Days in May. But Jigs Casey! I will... Um, I'm, I prefer his son. I think Kirk Douglas was not that great an actor. Uh, I was mentioning you this morning. Uh, this morning I was watching Two Weeks in Another Town, which is uh, Vincent Minnelli's Day for Night, I guess yeah. you could call it that. It's not a very good movie, but he, he plays an insane actor who's just been out, let out of the insane asylum, and he gets an opportunity to do some dubbing uh, for Edward G. Robinson. And the scenes where he's acting with Edward G. Robinson, you, you just don't look at him. Edward G. <laughs> Robinson just... It's like a he's, prize fighter. He steals fighter. every movie. He steals <laughs> it. But, but Douglas, I, I just think, was kind of a limited actor. 
I can't you know, This reminded me of another movie we should mention over these last 10 years, Trumbo. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and right. And and apropos of that, John, we have to give credit to Kirk Douglas for for putting Trumbo's name on Spartacus. Yes. yes although, as the movie Trumbo points out, it was yeah. Otto Preminger. It was Preminger. Who and Kirk Douglas always liked it, wanted to take credit for being the first. But still, it was it was gutsy, yeah. and he seemed yeah. like a genuinely decent. Noble guy. Oh no! Read his autobiography. Yeah, he was. Mm, right. <laughs> his autobiography. No, he's, I, he's a pig. Yeah, I, I heard that. My, my, my favorite uh, section of both him and Elia Kazan's uh, autobiographies is when they both blame each other for the failure of the arrangement. And I heard he had some uh, some issues with the opposite sex. Oh yeah, he he, uh, yeah. he he was kind of a pig. Yeah. Uh, I, I prefer his son. As an actor, frankly, still I, I, he's Colonel and, Dax. And not so. only that, <laughs> uh, he is good in it. And his son, and his son can do comedy. Yes. I mean, can you imagine Kirk Douglas doing the Kaminsky method? Nope. I can't in a million oh, years. No. He so just I didn't have that much of a range. So I just have to add that we just came back from a week in New Mexico and we went to Taos. And in Taos, we visited um, the Mabel Dodge Luhan House, which was built by this wonderful, wealthy, eccentric woman back, and which. Uh, Dennis Hopper bought in when he got back from filming in Peru. Everyone who listens know that I'm an insane fan of the last movie, and which where he edited the film. And so I got there like a few minutes before they were closing, and I was talking about the film, and they said, "Do you want to? We can open up the play." I got to see the room where Dennis Hopper edited the last movie. There was still some cocaine left on the floor from 1971. Still reeking drugs, but it was my little brush with greatness. I just had to share. So. Thank you for hanging in with well, us on Waters. It's debatable if it was a brush with greatness. Yeah. I, I, it was a brush. I, I, a brush with incoherence. I, we did that in our episode of our, our Overlook films. Uh, I, I think the last movie is There's Nothing Like It for Better or Worse. So we thus, That I agree. There we agree. <laughs> thus we end our longest episode, but it's worth our longest episode because we're talking about the end of the decade. And uh, I just want to say, as always, that uh, Vintage Sand is a Five Nines and a Four production. We want to thank Melissa for her tech help Mama Sue for uh, allowing us through her remodeling genius to return to Vintage Sand Studios North uh, under the lights um, thank Gabby for the logo please check out our website www.vintagesand.com uh, give us comments, suggestions for new episodes, things you'd like to hear things you'd like us to talk about we are available on SoundCloud and iTunes and as John pointed out I'm going to try to get us up on Spotify as well for you young hipsters out there and I say to you happy watching, wash your hands please for 20 seconds and may your favorite films always be streaming